Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of Romans, and today's episode is Romans chapter 15, 14 and 15. Get along, people. Okay, so before we get <coughs> too into this, I am going to tell you today that I'm not going to be going verse by verse in this book because it's really just an overall conversation that needs to be had. And to make things simple, I'm just going to have a chat about it. So what we're talking about today is for Paul is rebuking the Roman Christians. Remember, this is going to be the congregation. It's going to be a combination of Jewish or, you know, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And he is trying to keep them from judging one another. These are over gray areas, and we're going to talk about that, but just in case somehow I skim over it, this is went specifically about gray areas, things that are not black and white in scripture, things that are uncertain, things that can be interpreted in different ways. It's not just spelled out and they are fighting with one another and they're not, basically they're not coming together to eat. We need these people to eat together because eating together was such a huge, vital, necessary part of the early church community. And what we have here is are these two camps. You've got the camp of those that are what Paul calls weak in faith. And those are the ones that are not eating meat. They are putting some days more holy than other days, and they are not drinking wine. And then you have the other camp, which is the strong Christians, and they are eating the meat, drinking the wine, and all days are alike. And Paul is wanting both parties to respect one another or otherwise this will destroy the Christian community. Now, before we get started, I do want to go back to a very important part of the Gospels. There is this time where Jesus takes a different route to get back to the Galilee, and he's going to go through Samaria, and he does this purposefully, and even sends his disciples to go run a little errand so that he can be alone at the well at this time that this woman is going to show up. In this conversation with the woman at the well, she reveals that she knows some sort of truth about how to worship God, but the Samaritan worships um, God on Mount Gerizim, and that's where their temple was, while the Jewish people did on um, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And she is asking him, like, y'all say to worship on this mountain, and my people say to worship on this mountain. How, what is the proper way to worship God? And he tells her that there is a day coming where either mountain won't matter, but what will happen is we will worship in spirit and truth. Well, in this chapter 14, we're there. It is time to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is going to look slightly different than it did under the old covenant. The old covenant was very black and white, and it was very um, driven by man's duty and their outward performance. It was teaching them 
um, pictures in these performances of what to recognize when Messiah comes. These things that they did for generations and generations and their outward duty was to get it embedded in them what it was going to be like when Messiah came and then they would be able to recognize how Messiah was fulfilling all of these things, only they didn't. But we are under a new covenant and in this new covenant, we are driven by the Holy Spirit and the word of God and we worship in spirit and in truth. This looks like instead of just outwardly not having adultery with someone. This means even in your heart, we cannot look at another person and think about them. So that is even um, more, it's not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And this, in, in some ways, it's more strict. And in other ways, there's more liberty to be found. And so we're gonna just kind of break this apart. One of the things I found so interesting once I dug into my study was the definitions of what the strong Christian and what the weak Christian are. I, in my Gentile <laughs> um, I, viewpoint, and as immediately, I thought, oh, the, the weak Christians are the Jewish brothers and sisters who are so steeped in Judaism that they are the ones that are being very strict. You know, they're the ones that are not eating the meat because it has been sacrificed to idols. And I understand that and I respect them for it because for centuries, they couldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. They were the ones not drinking the wine because this wine was not kosher. I found out in my study that to um, fine the wine, to make it um, that, that pure, um, the, give it to the clarity that it needed, that there is a practice that was popular in the ancient world and even up into the 1990s where they would use some animal blood to, to bring out the clarity. And so it was not kosher wine. So the Jewish brothers and sisters would not be partaking in the wine in Rome because it wasn't kosher. Also, whenever I was reading just without digging in, about how some of these brothers and sisters were holding certain days higher than the other, I immediately thought, oh, these are my Jewish brothers and sisters who are um, putting the Sabbath more importantly than the other days, the high holy feast they are considering more important. And so immediately I assumed that they were the ones in the weak category. The strong category must have been the Gentiles. They were eating the meat, they were drinking the wine, and all days seemed the same. Well, as I dug in, my, um, my, my most of my commentaries that were written by non-Jewish people uh, led me down that path and agreed and thought and explained it this way. But then in several of my Jewish commentaries or even just the Jewish roots, the culture of the Jewish people, what I learned was this very well could have been the weak Christians could have been some of the Gentiles. There were some rising um, religious um, beliefs that were not Christian necessarily, but like Zoroastrianism and Gnosticism and different things that were becoming popular in the philosophical circles. And within those circles, those people could not eat meat. There were certain pagan days that were holy. So maybe these Gentiles leaving this pagan world thought, well, we we want to hold these days higher than the others, but we won't be worshiping these pagan gods on these days. We are going to redeem this day and we are going to worship God on this special day instead of the pagan deities. So, so there's a lot of confusion in both camps of who exactly was the strong Christian and who was the weak Christian. 
What I love about this is that in Paul's day, they knew and message received. In our day, I love how the Holy Spirit had him write this, that we don't know who was in what camp, but the message is what is important, is that in this Christian walk, there are going to be people deeply convicted about things that aren't so black and white in scripture. And there are going to be other people who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they find liberty through Jesus in certain issues. And what needs to happen is we all need to sit at the table and we all need to love one another and respect one another's convictions. Now, I feel like we really got a good picture of what this could be like just with this COVID pandemic. Those of us that were involved in church, there was a split camp. There were those that wanted to be home and they wanted to respect the um, the mandates, they wanted to keep their neighbors safe and they stayed home and they were very strict about that. While other people felt deeply convicted, no, I'm going to go to the house of God and I'm going to worship God and you cannot stop me. Now, there are going to be a few of those people that did. I mean, that's just the world we live in. There's going to be a few of those people that did judge each other for, for those things. But what I believe the biggest case scenario was if you got into a room you know, whatever your viewpoint was, either way, along with someone else who had a different viewpoint, you cannot help but in the back of your mind wonder, are they looking at me and judging me because of the decision I made? And then I think that they are standing there thinking, I wonder if they're judging me because of the decision. I think a lot of times we walk around wondering if the other person is judging us and then that makes for tension. And then you're assuming things and then you are responding off of those assumptions. It's just human nature and we all do it. Well, I think that that's what a lot of what is happening here. They're sitting at tables and then, you know, you're going to have some going, oh, you're going to eat that meat. Mm. Oh, and you're going to drink that wine and they're going to be looking down their nose. And the other person is going to think, oh, well, you think you're better than, than us because you're doing something that I don't even feel like needs to be followed scripturally. Oh, well, and, and then there's this tension that's built. But I think more than that, that there's just this underlying tension in the silence, that there's no one really saying anything, that there's no mean looks, but there's so much tension because they disagree on certain topics that they got to where they wouldn't even eat together. And Paul wanted this to stop. I love what R. Jewett says. He says, the frown of the legalist is just as inappropriate for the realm of Christ as the disdainful smile of the liberated. We need to get over these, not over the personal convictions. We need to get over separating ourselves because of how we believe. And we need to worship in spirit and truth. And we need to respect one another. Now, another thing that Paul goes into is... This idea of, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me um, just kind of go through my notes. So um, verse three says, one who eats must not look down on the one who doesn't eat and vice versa, because God has accepted them. We cannot look down on somebody um, else because of their actions that are in great areas, because that is legalism. But then the opposite of that is we can swing the pendulum to the other side to, to liberalism, and we can take that too far. We all will stand before the Lord one day, and we're accountable for ourselves. So verses five through six really are explaining that this is more of a conscious thing, and we are to do what 
the word of God says, paired with our conscience, paired with this question we have to ask, and it's clear in scripture, does this honor the Lord? Because sometimes I think that we can be so steeped in our conviction that we end up injuring and hurting our brothers and sisters in Christ and causing that separation. And does that honor the, the Lord? Does the world look at the split body of Christ that can't eat together and doesn't see eye to eye and maybe thinks themselves better than the other camp? Does the world look in and say, oh, I want to be a part of that. Sign me up for that. No, if this causes the Lord to stop being honored, then it is so not worth it. I'm going to read from the Jewish New Testament commentary on verses five and six. And it says, each should be fully convinced in his own mind. This principle for dealing with doctrinal and practical disputes applies to idaphora matters that are in matters that are found in the Bible to be indifferent must, so these matters, these gray areas is what it's talking about, must be balanced against Second Titus 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and valuable in teaching truth, convicting sin, correcting faults, and training in right living. Where scripture gives a clear word, personal opinion must give way. Where scripture is clear, we can't put our personal opinion in it. We have to just obey. But where the word of God is subject to various and impo- Various possible interpretations, let each be persuaded in his own mind, I love this, while at the same time living out Romans 12.10, outdoing one another and showing respect for one another. I'm going to give an example, a modern day example of what this can look like. I have a very dear, dear friend who um, is on this faith journey with me. And over the past couple of years, she has been deeply convicted about Christmas. And in her studies and where she believes the Holy Spirit is leading her, she is has chosen not to celebrate Christmas. Well, where I have been on this faith journey and I have not come to the same conclusion. Uh, we, we see this topic differently. And we up until now have respected one another, but there this season came an instance where um, me and another girlfriend got together and we decided to have this little Christmas breakfast with some of our friends. And so my, my friend called and said, ooh, should we call it something else? Because our friend Jolene won't come. Or would she come? Maybe she won't come. So should we just scrap all of this and call it something else? Well, I believe that that's kind of what Paul is talking about. Like we need to meet in the middle. We need like it, it, calling it a Christmas party. Is it that important for us? Well, I just decided because we'd already kind of gotten the ball rolling. Well, let me just call my friend Jolene and have this conversation with her and see. And right then and there, she explained like, hey, I choose not to celebrate Christmas, but I Like I'm doing my walk and y'all do y'all's walk. And the way I look at it is this is fellowship with my friends. So absolutely no, I'm not going to miss out on this. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be early and I'm going to be cooking the pancakes because I want to be with my girlfriends and I want to celebrate life with y'all. And so that's really the heart that Paul is trying to get here is that we need to follow our convictions and they need to line up with the word of God and we need to follow what the Holy Spirit is telling us. But they are not always going to look the same in these great areas as our brothers and sisters. And you know what? What I have learned is that in Jesus's day, you had the exact same thing. You had different groups of Judaism people that were trying to live this out, but they saw certain interpretations differently. (coughs) 
<laughs> you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, you had the Essenes, you had the Herodians, and you had the Zealots. And they all were doing the best that they could to live this out. And they all missed it on so many areas. Like, I probably have the most respect for the Essenes. Like, they were legit. And that's why we have scripture today, because of the decisions that they've decided they wanted to make. But they separated themselves from the rest of the world. And we see clearly through the gospel that God wanted his story to go out to the world. So how on earth are we going to reach the world if we separate ourselves? So they missed it in some areas, but other areas, thank goodness that they were like that and had those beliefs because there was so much of the word of God preserved today for us. Well, you had the Herodians who were probably the most liberal of all of the factions. You know, they were the ones probably that the others all looked down on because they were one foot into Rome and one foot into Judaism. But you know what? They had more um, dealings day to day with Gentile people because of their lax ways that they probably had the most influence on the Gentiles because they were in the streets. They were doing things. So in all of these sects, you have these pros and you have cons. And I think God called these different sects at a certain time to stand strong in certain areas so that they can accomplish something that he would use for the big picture. And so maybe on this journey, God is telling you or leading you, convicting you to do something where someone else, they don't bother them because they're going to go into a path participating in that particular thing. And they're going to be able to reach people because of that. But maybe because of you, maybe that would have, you you. I mean, we can what ifs all day long. I'm sorry for, I'm probably chasing a rabbit trail right now. But bottom line is we need to obey what we believe God is telling us. And he's telling us that we're all going to stand before the Lord. And so we need to worry about our own walk more than others. We are not to look down. Verse 10 says, do not look down on or criticize your brothers. I and my notes just put, we shouldn't worry about our brother's walk more than our own. And again, and this is the verse where it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, what I thought was neat, this is a side note, what is this judgment seat? It kind of sounds scary. You know, like, oh, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And, you know, we kind of think, ugh. But what, when I broke it down, what it is in the Greek is the Bema seat. And I thought this was so cool. So stay with me. The Bema seat was the name of the seat that the judges sat in during the Olympic Games. And the winners of the Olympic Games came down to the Bama seat to receive their first, second, and third place crowns. So what that is talking about is there's going to be one day that we finish our race and we are going to go down to the Bama seat where Jesus is and we are going to receive our crowns. These are going to be our rewards for things that we did that were for God and unto God, not so that man can see. The things that we do so that man can see, those rewards will be burned up, the Bible says. But the things we did unto God to glorify him will receive a crown. So that judgment seat of God is really actually an exciting thing. It's like the Olympians, when they finished their race and came in for second and third, they went down and got their reward. One day we will go down and get our reward in heaven. So then he goes on to say that, hey, we're not supposed to put stumbling blocks in the way. So for example... If I am one of these that are in the strong camp and I don't have a problem with drinking the Roman wine, I am not going to go sit at a table where I see that it infuriates my brother. 
If that, if my brother who is the weak one and he just cannot take that I am drinking this and it offends him in such a way, I'm going to put it away. I am going to put it away. For me, I worship God more expressively. Um, I go to a um, spirit-filled church and <coughs> excuse me, in those churches, you know, we put our hands up and we just, there's a lot of motion going on. And when I visit churches that are more liturgical and more reserved, I'm not going to go sit on the front row and cause a scene and bring attention to myself. I am going to be respectful and worship the way that they do. Now, you might be sitting there and going, uh-uh, I'm not going to compromise. I'm go-, And that's fine. Basically, on the like, we don't have instructions in the Bible telling us how to handle these things. What we want to do is to follow our own convictions, but at the same time, we don't want to put a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing things a different way. So, we don't want to entice them to sin because Paul is going to say later that if you believe in your heart that this is wrong, and then even if it's right, even if it's right, but you believe in your heart's wrong, but then you cave in and do it, that that's a sin. So we don't want to entice our brothers and sisters to join in with us if they have a deep conviction about something, but we also don't want to beat them down with legalism. So both parties, the the party that didn't want the wine, they can't beat that down into the party that was drinking. I also found something interesting. You know, this, this terminology, strong and weak, we automatically have an idea of what that means. But on the um, Bama podcast that I listened to, um, Marty Solomon broke this down and said, it's not translated like what we would understand. Weak is really, (coughs) excuse me, it's all this head, head cold that I have. The weak, the better translation would really be an acute, narrow, deeper convictions of your walk, where strong would be more freedom and liberty. It's a wider um, you know, where you believe that there's more liberty in God's word than the person who is weak. It's not a weak and strong, one's better, one's worse, you're lacking, you have more. It's not that. It is just describing someone who has a more acute, narrow, deeper conviction compared to someone who walks in more freedom and liberty. There's not one right or one wrong necessarily. I thought that was such an interesting take. So he goes into saying that Paul says, I I believe that nothing is unclean. This is specifically talking about ritual cleanliness, not moral behavior. There is unclean moral behavior, but he specifically here is talking about like the eating of the meat, things that would be used in a ritual ceremony. He believes that there's nothing unclean in of itself. The Jews began to use this word to denote food that would have been common or secular and should be avoided. And Paul saying, no more. There's no, there is none of that. There was a time and day that this food needed to be set apart and holy. And the, and the opposite of that would have been unclean. Like this is common, you know, a plate that just anybody could use versus the plate for the showbread. This is a common thing. And the Jewish people were telling their brothers and sisters, you need to avoid the common thing. But Paul's saying that there is nothing unclean anymore. Um, We are not to to teach others to violate their conscience or let the Holy Spirit be their God. I feel like I've said that several times through this. And verse 18 says, whoever serves Christ this way is acceptable to God and approved by man. Get along and, and you'll be acceptable to God. So verse 19 says, pursue what promotes peace. Build one another up. We are to pursue what promotes 
peace. Sometimes this can seem harsh. I thought of Paul and Barnabas. They were together on their first missionary journey, and there came a time where they disagreed over um, John Mark so deeply that evidently there was not peace in their group. And so what they decided is what would promote peace? You know what? Barnabas, you take John Mark and you go this way and I'm going to go a different route and we're going to still build one another up and I'm going to honor you when I get to my town. I'm not going to say anything negative about either one of y'all, but we're going to have to go a separate way because there's just not peace. Sometimes that takes place. Sometimes it just means, you know what? I'm not going to drink the wine. I'm not going to eat the food at the table that my brothers and sisters are at. You have to meet in the middle. And there's no party that needs to do it more than the other. We're supposed to promote peace above all. Don't tear down God's work because of food. Oh my goodness, everything is clean. But it's wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. He's like, let's not make food an issue. One of you needs to to show a little love here. Either don't bring the food, or if you do bring the food, then the brother next to you that won't eat it, like just chill. There's nothing that is unclean anymore. And let's not let food divide us. Um, And then in verse 22, it says, do you have a conviction? Well, you're supposed to keep it before God. So these, these deep convictions that you have on these gray areas, this is between you and God. And the man, um, because this, this is what divides things that that's basically what he's saying that this is going to divide things. But those of you that are doubting, um, and, and, and you are convicted and you don't know what you should do, you better hang on to your convictions because it's going to become a sin. That's what verse 22 is talking about. If you have a conviction in this. Now, I'm not saying like newly brought up, well, like what if you had a conviction, but then through further study, it's revealed to you that it's not wrong. Well, then that's fine. But if you are convicted about it, but then you just decide to partake in it because everybody around you is, well, that will be a sin. I hope that I'm not confusing everyone. Um, this was this was such an interesting. The whole chapter was gray, even in the the terminology of the strong and the weak. There wasn't anything finite, and so um, the last part of uh, well, chapter fifteen, it goes on to kind of more of the same, saying things over and over again. But he's reminding us, I want you united in mind and voice. So we honor one another, we stand together, and then quietly we can disagree over these great areas and we're to accept one another. I see in so many denominations this division because we see things differently. But he's saying, I want you all to sit at the table and love one another. And then he goes on to really hit hard about all the prophecy that was in the Old Testament about Christ coming for the Gentiles too. And I think this is Paul's way of just reminding them like half of you are Gentile, half of you are Jews. This was part of God's plan and remember that. We're going to finish up the rest of 15. It's Paul's travel plans in 16 next week. 16 is basically his his uh, salutation, his his greeting or his goodbye uh, for the letter. And I just thank all of you for sticking with this. We are almost done. The end is just really wrapping up and saying goodbye. Um, and so I'll leave you with this today. I just really encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, um, who are some people that that are on this Christian journey um, with me that maybe do things differently and maybe, <coughs> just maybe I have done something to draw a line and cause division at where, where we don't do life together. And I just really encourage you to reach out to that person and start just doing things to build that unity 
have lunch, have coffee, do whatever it is that they're interested in doing. And let's start building unity across the body of Christ, the big C church, the capital church. I hope I didn't confuse you too much. My head is um, just all over the place right now. So I hope this made sense. I love you guys. I'll see you next week and happy reading.